Well, if you've got your copy of God's Word, open up to Romans chapter 13. We're going to be looking at Romans 13, verses 11 to 14. And this is kind of the theme for the year as we talk about awaken. We talk about the idea of being awakened. Now, I wonder how many of you are okay with just being average, typical, you know, run-of-the-mill, mediocre, common, uh, let's be honest, if our kids came in with straight C's, how many of you would be proud parents? Right? If our kids came in with straight C's, how many of you would be taking a report card and putting it on your refrigerator? Going, that's my kid. My kid is average. My kid makes right what he needs to make. He can move on to the next grade. Now, most of us would be like, son, can't, can't you improve on one class? Isn't there like one class you're good at? Aren't you smart in one subject? And they go, nope, I'm just average, right? We'd probably be a little bit upset. Now, to be honest with you, I love to watch all the parents as they post their kids on Facebook and the sports that they play. Isn't it cool to see some of these kids? But it's always funny. It's always the kid that gets the hit. They only show you one out of four at bats, right? And they show you the one time that the kid actually makes the play where he scoops the ball and throws them out at first versus all the times it went through their glove, right? We want to show the good side of it. We don't want to show the average side of it because guess what? Kids are going to make mistakes when they play sports. Now, I don't go around and I certainly don't brag on my golf game. I can tell you that because I'm not even average. Average would be par. I'm not even close to par. I'm like way above par. I'm like high 90s to low 100s. And, and for those of you that don't know golf, if you're wondering what par is, it's usually 72. I'm shooting like 26, 27, 28, 30 over par. I'm, I'm subpar. Now, here's the thing. I only go and play twice a year. So I don't expect to get any better. I don't expect to improve my golf game playing twice a year. I get out there and I do like most golfers. I hit that one shot that makes me go back. I hit that one shot that somehow it miraculously goes in the hole and I may get a birdie and I jump up and I say, that I knew I could do it all along when I really know that I can't. You know, you hit that one. But I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of Christians that are common, mediocre, average, and they're just satisfied with it. They're just fine with being that way. They're fine with coming to church on occasion they may be even fine with serving a little bit in the church. They may be fine with reading a devotional every now and then and thinking to themselves, well, I'm getting closer to God while I'm reading this little devotional. They may spend a little bit of time in prayer before their food, before they go to bed. They're just average Christians, and they look out and they say, well, I'm better than so-and-so, and so I must be doing pretty good. Our standard is not anybody in here. If you're measuring yourself by anybody in this congregation, your standard is subpar. Your standard is off kilter. And you've already forgotten what God has called you to be like. And it's to be like him. So average is not good enough. Average is not where God wants us to be. And I'm going to tell you, I love this church. But for the last couple of months, we've kind of been in a little bit of a lull. And I began to pray, and I said, God, what is it you want us to do this year? And the word came to me was awaken. 
that we have fallen asleep and we didn't realize we were asleep. Now, let me understand. Let me help you something. It's okay sometimes to take a little cat nap, but you better get back up. It's okay to have a little bit of rest because sometimes we need to rest. But when it comes to the spiritual battles that are going on in our lives, we better wake up, get ready, and get back in the fight because the enemy has not stopped. The enemy is not going to quit. He's not going to take a break. And as Christians, we better stop taking a break. We better get back up and we better get back to work. So we come to this passage in Romans chapter 13. We're going to look at three commands to start looking like Jesus. The first command we're going to look at is simply this, wake up. Look with me in verse 11 and the beginning of verse 12. It says, and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. It is high time. You know what it's basically saying? It's saying it's about time to get up. I always think it's funny. When, when we come into work, if we come in later than Chris Smith, his common phrase to us is, it's about time you got to work. And I think that God would say that to us as we wake out of sleep and he'd go, it's about time you woke up. It's high time. Time for you to get up, to wake up, and to start doing what God has called you to do. And what he says here is urgent. It's high time. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. There is an urgency to our work. You know why? Because Jesus is coming back. In fact, when Paul wrote this, Paul believed he could have come back tomorrow when he wrote this. He believed he could have come back at any time. And you may say, well, that was almost 2,000 years ago. And if God hadn't come back in 2,000 years, he's taken some time. God can take however long he wants, but we better not take it for granted. We better not just assume that it's not going to be in our lifetime. Because here's the truth of the matter. If God came back at the moment you were doing certain things, would you think he'd be pleased with you? There's an urgency that if we believe that Jesus is coming back and he could come back at any time, then we have work to be done. And he says this, it's high time to awake out of sleep. And the Encyclopedia Britannica says this about sleep. It is a state of inactivity with a loss of consciousness and a decrease in responsiveness to events taking place. In other words, the idea is there's no time for apathy, complacency or indifference in the church there's no time for these things we don't have time to rest we don't have time to lull we don't have time to sit back and say well somebody else will take care of it we've got to be about the work it's time to wake up lifeway research has done a survey of the post-pandemic what's going on in churches today three out of four pastors say that the greatest problem in their churches is apathy Apathy. Three out of four pastors, 75% of churches are struggling with apathy. Apathy is simply the idea of being lazy and not serving the Lord. 75% of our churches. You realize there are more churches closing their doors today than are opening their doors. In fact, there are 4,000 churches a year that close their doors. Apathy would be one of the main reasons for it. You say, well, what does that mean? What, what does it mean if we are apathetic? Well, I think Paul talks about this in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14, Paul says it like this. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. 
There's a spiritual lethargy. We become lethargic in our actions. In other words, it's not a big deal if it doesn't get done. How many of you will admit to procrastination? I did in school. I was a big procrastinator. I would wait until the night of to write papers. I would wait until the night of to study for the test. And you wonder why I was an average student. I really was. When I was in high school, I was a BC student. And, and it was just based on the fact that I didn't really work hard at it. There are a lot of C Christians today. There are a lot of Christians who are average, who are lethargic, who are not doing anything for the kingdom work. But they'll say this, but I'm going to church. But I'm going to church. I'm doing what God has asked me to do. Are you really? Are you sure you're not just still asleep? And to be honest with you, I know that there are people that even sleep while I preach. It happens. There are people that are going to fall asleep when I preach. It happens. I've told you before, I had a lady that used to fall asleep every time I preached. She just kept me humble. That's the way I looked at it. But the truth of the matter is, is we have fallen asleep to the work that God wants to do because we're sitting back going, well, somebody else will take care of it. Can I tell you, I'm so proud of the 120 that showed up yesterday. They didn't say, let somebody else handle the prayer. Let's get busy. They said, let's show up because we believe God wants to do something great. And yes, I know it was 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning, but guess what? God still works at 7 a.m. on Saturday. You see, the truth is, is we've got to wake up. If we're not careful, we'll become ignorant of the things of God. And that's what 1 Corinthians 15 was telling them. Paul was telling them, wake up because you become ignorant to the things of God. You've come to a point where you're just resting. You're just cruising. And that's the problem. Many of us are on the highway to heaven. We've hit the cruise and we're just watching it go. I'll be honest with you. I love the cruise control on a car, don't you? I'll use it on main roads too. If I can get up to 50 mile an hour, I'll put it on cruise and just cruise. And then if somebody makes me have to take it off, I get mad at them. <laughs> get up the road, right? I like cruise. It's easy. It's easy to drive that way. You don't have to worry because my problem is my foot goes up and down on that pedal. And I'm just afraid I'm going to pass a cop and I'm going to be going way too fast. And so, but let me be honest with you. The problem is, is not too many people in the church are too hot. They're just on cruise. And they're just cruising by the average. And they're just cruising to the things of God. And it's been a long time since they've served him. It's been a long time since they really talked with him. It's been a long time since they got on their face before him. It's been a long time since they really dug into God's word to get close to him. It's been a long time and God is saying, wake up. Wake up. There's no time to take a break, no time to pause, no time to take a nap. Get up and let's get after it. You say, how does one become apathetic? How does one begin to do this? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, you can have a loss of passion for God. You say, how does somebody end up getting a loss of passion for God? Because they weren't worshiping God in the first place. I'll be honest with you. Church hurt is real, is it not? If you've ever been in church, you know what church hurt is. Church hurt hurts. But the problem is, is we end up putting our focus on man or woman instead of on the God who we're worshiping. Because if it's God who we're worshiping, there's not a man or a woman that can chase us away from serving the Lord. They're not going to chase us away from being obedient to God. They can't do it because of our love for God. But there's a loss of passion for God. There's also a lack of concern for the things that God cares about. We get to a point where we see things going on in the world and we go, that's just common. 
That's just, that's just average. That's just the way it is today. Well, woe be unto us when we begin to become so spiritually blinded to the things that are going on in this world that we just don't care anymore. We can become apathetic that way. We can become apathetic when we become self-sufficient. When we think we have arrived or we're better than somebody else. When we think that we don't need God's help to move us along in our relationship with him. When we become so self-centered, we lose our appetite for God. We can become apathetic when we become bored with Jesus. You heard me, right? When we become bored with Jesus. I'll tell you what's happening today. The reason why we're becoming bored with Jesus is because we have too many culture Christians and not biblical Christians. You say, well, what's the difference? A cultural Christian is wanting what they can get from God and not actually wanting God. They're wanting the gifts instead of the giver. A cultural Christian is wanting to see God move so that they can get something out of it as opposed to a biblical Christian wants to see God move so that God receives the glory. You see, there's a big difference today and we can become bored with Jesus because we lose sight of why we worship him in the first place. Some people say, well, I go to a church and they sing traditional hymns and when they sing all that traditional stuff, I just get bored. Well, the problem is you're focusing on the music and not the one you're singing to. It's not about what we sing. It's about who we sing to. It's about giving glory to him. And if you think you got to go to a smoke screen, fireworks, popping show where there's a rock band up front, you're going to be bored with that eventually too because you're not focused on God. You're focused on the ones who are up there singing. It's not about that. We can become bored with Jesus, and it's not because Jesus is boring. I always tell my kids this. You're bored because you're boring. You ever heard kids say that? I'm bored. And that's my common response. You're bored because you're boring. You won't get bored with Jesus if you know who he is. You won't get bored with Jesus if you dig into his word. You won't get bored with Jesus if you know the Jesus I know. He's not boring. Not only that, you can become apathetic when you become familiar. You know, familiarity breeds contempt. It really does. You say, well, how does that happen? Well, you think about this. I wonder if any of you guys have ever been to one of those sites where you went out and you looked at it and you thought, man, that is absolutely beautiful. And it just made you worship God. But after you'd seen it five or six days in a row, you're like, eh, that's pretty. Kind of happens in a relationship too, doesn't it? You know, you're really, when you start dating, you are wanting to know that person. You're wanting to get close to that person. You're wanting to know everything about them. Then you get married. Then you go to separate rooms to watch television, right? You come in and it's no longer, hi, honey, give her a kiss on the lips. It's, hi, honey, got to go watch my show, need to vegetate, I'm tired, get away from me right now. And familiarity breeds contempt. And the same can happen with God when we become so familiar with the holy God and forget who we're worshiping. When we forget that he is holy, holy, holy. When we forget that he's almighty. When we forget that he is the great one, the creator of all things. When we forget how awesome our God is and we begin to get familiar with him like he's the big guy upstairs. He's not the big guy upstairs. He's the creator, the almighty God, the Yahweh, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we need to remember that. But familiarity breeds apathy, and so does mediocrity. I heard a song the other day said, it's okay to be okay. No, it's not. I know what they're meaning. They're talking about your mental state. But it's not okay to just be okay. I don't want to just be average. I don't want God to, when I get up to heaven, he goes, well, I'm glad you made it. 
I want when I get to heaven, God to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Another one is a disconnect. You can lose and become apathetic towards God when you disconnect from God and when you disconnect with his people. I'm amazed at how many people that after the pandemic have totally disconnected from church. They disconnected from church. They unplugged. They said, you know what? We don't need to go. We can watch it. Can I tell you something? I'm glad people watch it online, but it's not what God ever intended. There's a huge difference in what you feel here and what you feel at home on a screen. Huge difference. No, I believe that God can move in homes. Absolutely. But I think we've gotten to a point where we're just okay with doing things the way we're doing them now. We're more scared of a disease and a virus than we are of Almighty God. But lastly is a passivity. We can become apathetic when we become passive. I'll get to it later or somebody else will do it. Can I tell you something? God wants us to do it. If God speaks to you, I always, it always makes me kind of snicker a little bit. So if you ever come say this to me and I snicker, you, you just go ahead and know why. If you come to me and say, God wants us to do such and such, I'm going, no, God wants you to do such and such. Because he put it on your heart. The problem is, is you want to pass it to me so that I can pass it to somebody else so that you feel good that what, you, what God told you to do is being done without you. We don't pass it along. If God has told you to do something, get up and do it. Wake up or we can become apathetic. You want to know what a remedy to apathy is? It is a fresh encounter with God. And here's the thing. We can have a fresh encounter with God every single day. And we need to. The first command is to wake up. The second command is to cast off. Look with me in the middle of verse 12 through 13. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. He says, let us cast off the works of darkness. You know, there are several passages in Scripture that kind of give us a design of what these works of darkness are. In Galatians chapter 5, beginning verse 19, says this, Now the works... Of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I love the one in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 9, it says this, For we are God's fellow workers. We are God's fellow workers and are God's field. You are the building according to the grace of God. Chapter 6, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 9. It says it this way. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen to verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Let's not forget who we were, folks. Let's not forget what God has brought us from. 
But let's also not go back to the old man. Let's not go back to our old ways. Let's not go back to our sin. Let's not delve back into that old lifestyle. In fact, when you look at this passage, he gives us six things. He says, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness. Those two kind of go together. The word revelry comes from the word komos, which means wild partying or drunken orgies. And then he uses the word drunkenness, which comes from the Greek word methe, which means habitual intoxication. In other words, the two go together. When one drinks, you can expect there's wild parties and the things of God are not happening. In lewdness and in lust, the word lewdness comes from the word koite, which means going to bed or sexual sin. The word lust comes from asalagia, which means absence of restraint. When we begin to lose our restraint, when we allow our eyes to begin to look at things that they don't need to look at, eventually we'll step into the sin with our physical abilities as well. He says, you got to watch out for these things. And then he uses the word strife, which comes from the word eris, which means contention or bickering. And envy, which comes from the word zealous, which means zeal and jealousy. You see, if we're not careful, the flesh can creep back up into a believer's life and take him over. And we can delve into that sin, and then we excuse it. And we begin to tell God, hey, you know what, God? Everybody else is living like me. Everybody else is sinful. We all make mistakes. I'm no different. I'm no better. That's not what God wants. God wants you to get up. He wants you to cast it off. He wants you to throw it far from you and get rid of it. Not to go back to it. Not to slip back into it. But to get it out of your life. Throw the oldness away and don't go back like a dog to his vomit. Don't go back like a pig to the mud. Get rid of the lust. Get rid of the, the, the lascivious living. Get rid of the sin in your life. Cast it off. In fact, he says several times, and Paul's not the only one, but Paul does say it several more times in Scripture. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22, Paul says it this way. He says that you put off concerning your formal conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. In the book of Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, he writes to the Colossians there, but now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. The author of Hebrews also says this in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. In the book of James chapter 1 and verse 21, James says it this way, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, Peter says to the church, therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. In other words, take the sin that's in your life, stop making excuses for it, and cast it out. Get rid of it. Stop living in it. Stop making excuses for it. Stop believing that God is just going to be okay with what you're doing. Paul was making it clear that if we want to see revival, then we better cast it off. You say, well, how do we do that? Well, there's a couple of ways. The first way is to confess and repent. If you've got sin in your life, confess it. Confess it to God. Repent of it before God. Recognize it as sin. Until you recognize it as sin, you won't get rid of it. Now, here's the thing. 
If your conscience bothers you when you're doing something, just go ahead and know it's a sin. There's no need and keep going on it. There's no need in questioning it. There's no need in coming to the pastor and saying, hey, is such and such a sin? If it's already bothering your conscience. When people come and ask me, is such and such a sin, their conscience is already bothering them to ask that question. Just go ahead and put it off. Don't have anything to do with it. Confess it and repent. Not only that, but pray for help. If you're dealing with a sin in your life and you say, Brother John, you just don't realize I battle this sin. I can't overcome it. I can't win. Then start praying to the one who can give you victory. Start praying to the one that can help you. Start praying to the one that can be there when that temptation comes your way and he can overcome it for you. Remove triggers and temptations. If you know there's something that gets you to sin, get rid of it. If you're looking at pornography, then if you've got to, get rid of that computer. Put some passcodes on your phone. Let your wife put passwords on the TV. Do whatever it takes. Don't get into it. Get out of it. Don't allow those triggers to remain in place. Replace habits. If you've got a habit of doing something, replace it. You know it's wrong. Replace it. Because you got to get rid of the old and put something new in its place. Read God's word. Get into God's word. He will purify you. He will enlighten you. And he'll direct you. And then seek accountability. Don't be afraid to tell somebody else you need help with something. That's what the church is for. He says you got to cast these things off. you got to cast off the darkness and put on the armor of light. The armor of light we know is from Ephesians chapter 6 where he tells us to put on the belt of truth. Truth will never get you in trouble. You may say, well, Brother John, my wife asked me some difficult questions. Be truthful. He tells us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. In other words, in every action, and everything that you do, make sure that it is righteous. Shod your feet with the gospel of preparation of peace. Let the gospel be on your heart. Let the gospel be on your mind and all things and carry it wherever you go and share it with those people and have that solid foundation in your life. We need to carry the shield of faith because the enemy is going to fire his darts at us. He's going to do everything he can to get us to waver in our faith. But we've got faith in God and we better put on the shield of faith. We better put on the helmet of salvation. You better know that you know. Because if you don't know that you're saved, Satan will get you every single time. And then you've got to carry the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I'm here to tell you, that's the weapon that Jesus used to defeat Satan when he went out into the desert. We need to carry the Word of God with us wherever we go. If you don't have a copy of it, then hide it in your heart so that when it comes against you, you will not sin. You see, we've got to put on the armor of God, and we've got to do it by praying. We've got to do it by praying. We need to be children of light, the Bible tells us. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8, Paul tells us there, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 7, John says it this way. This is the message which you have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We need to be light bearers in everything that we do. Number three, the last command. We need to put on. Verse 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Put on. Galatians 3 verse 27 says this, For as many as of you 
as we're baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Do you understand what that means? You have put on Jesus. If you are a Christian in here today, every one of you that claims to be a Christian, you have put on Jesus. My question is, is that what people see in you? If you've put on Jesus, he's bigger than you. If you've put on Jesus, he's more righteous than you. If you've put on Jesus, he's more bold than you. If you've put on Jesus, he's more gracious and loving and kind than you. If you've put on Jesus, people will see him in you. The Bible says we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's no longer my life to live for myself. It is my life to live for Jesus. I have put him on. If I have put him on, then I better be living for him. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24, Paul said it this way. And you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. If you put on the new, don't go back to the old. I'm here to tell you, I cannot wait to sell my Honda Civic and get something new. I've been picked on so bad at this church for driving that little car. I'm not getting a new car just for that reason. But when I get a new car, I promise you, I'm not going to look back and go, oh, I sure do miss that little Civic. And yet there are so many of you today that have given your life to Jesus, and yet you look back at that old life, you say, man, I sure do miss the parties I used to go to when I was younger. Oh, I sure do miss the... You can't miss that mess. That mess will mess you up. If you think about all them parties you went to, you also remember the toilet you hung around the next morning. Don't forget that too. Man, when you look at this, the idea of putting on is remembering that God has given you something new. And it's not for you to abuse it. It's not for you to take advantage of it. It is for you to look like Jesus. In fact, in Colossians 2, 6 and 7, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. You know, as Paul is writing this passage here in Romans 13, he is reminded of what he wrote earlier in one chapter in Romans chapter 12. Where he tells him, he says this, he says, be ye renewed, right? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be different. You don't want to look like everybody else. You don't want to be like everybody else. Jesus always swam to a different current. He always danced to a different beat. And as Christians, we should too. And when we put on Jesus, we'll look different from the rest of the world. And then he says this, and make no provision for the flesh. The word provision there comes from the word pronoia, which means forethought or planning ahead. It's lustful thoughts or wrong ideas that we have allowed to linger in our minds. As Christians, we need to take every thought captive. Every thought captive. I'm going to ask you this morning just three questions. Are you awake? Now, when I say, are you awake, I'm asking you, are you satisfied with where you are right now? 
Are you looking at your life and saying, well, I'm doing what I should be doing. I'm living good enough. I'm just as good as all the other people I'm sitting around. No, no, no. Are you awake? What I'm asking is, do you realize that it is time to get up? It's high time for you to get up. It's time for you to wake up. It's time for you to stop doing what you've been doing. It's time for you to get up and start doing what God has called you to do. It's time for you to get busy. It's not time for us to take a break. It's not time for us to take a nap. Are you awake? Second question, have you cast off? Have you thrown it aside? Is there sin in your life right now? I'm not asking you specifically what that sin is. God's already beating it in your heart right now. You even came to church. You already felt guilty for you walked into church this morning. You almost didn't come into church because you felt guilty for your sin. He was already beating it on you and saying, look, I want you to repent. I want you to get right. Have you cast it off? If not, then do it now. Don't hold on to it. Cast it off. Get rid of it. Here's the thing. You say, well, what if somebody sees me come up to the altar? That's okay. They probably need to join you. We don't need to be looking at each other. We need to be looking at ourselves. We need to get the plank out of our eyes and stop trying to pull the speck out of everybody else's. Have you cast off and finally have you put on? Have you put on the Lord Jesus Christ? When people see you, do they see Jesus? That means do they see Jesus in you at work? I'm going to tell you, sometimes, now for me it's not that hard. I mean, I deal with some knuckleheads, but it's not that hard sometimes to be good in church. But for others of you out there in your jobs... Especially those of you that work with people. Do they see Jesus in you or do they think you're full of the devil? What about your family? What do they think? Do they see Jesus in you or do they try to walk away from you? What about your waiter or waitress when you go to a restaurant? Do they see Jesus in you or do they see somebody that's selfish? What do they see in you? Have you put on the Lord Jesus? Because if you put on the Lord Jesus, you take him everywhere you go. And everywhere you go, people should see Jesus in you.